good financial stability and wellness of the company, right? Coupled with good people is literally every business's heartbeat. With one or both of them, without one of those or without both of them, the likelihood for, for your organization, for that company um, to survive is very low. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here with Matt Colicello and for our Chloe Goodry Reed. And in today's episode, we're joined by Duran Dunn. For any sports fans out there, you know Duran as a popular member of the Atlanta Braves organization. In addition to being a professional athlete and a 2021 World Series champion, Duran is an accomplished business professional, currently a managing director in the Advisory Governance Risk compliance and controls practice at Grant Thornton. He has 20 years of experience leading global business in accounting, finance, and internal audit that include internal controls and process reviews, enterprise risk management, and ESG. Duran has also worked in multiple industries, including manufacturing, consumer products, media and entertainment, and biopharmaceutical companies. Breath and depth. Welcome to the show, Duran. We're so excited to have you on here today. Thank you for giving us your time and joining us in studio. Adam and Matt, thank you as well. Such a warm introduction. And by the way, what I'll start to do, if you're open to it, I'll think about having you travel around with me to maybe do all my intros uh, <laughs> on a go forward basis, because uh, for a second, I was like, is that really me? That, that's put together too well. Thank you. I'm really, really, really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, you just you just named the place. I'll be glad to intro you anywhere, my friend. All right. I'm taking you up on that. Adam Perfect. Hype man. <laughs> That's it, man. I have the face for a podcast. So let me tell you. All right. I'm taking the full squad. Obviously, I, I, Chloe is, isn't here today, so we, we'll miss her. But we're going to be bringing her along as well. Perfect. Definitely. Definitely. So I guess we just wanted to start, Duran, with asking you to tell our listeners what Grant Thornton does and what your role in the company is. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so Grant Thornton is one of the world's leading professional services firm. Uh, we focus primarily in audit, tax, and advisor services. And what, what I mean by that is, for those who might not be as familiar from an audit perspective, we do a lot of financial statement audits for publicly traded companies as well as private. And then from a tax perspective, there's a whole lot of work we do around regulatory and reporting compliance, tax provisioning, and all that that we do. So we do a bunch of work in that space. And then from an advisory function perspective, I actually sit under that umbrella 
In fact, I started my career out in audit and I've made the move over to the, the consulting advisory side. We do a whole bunch of work under that one umbrella call advisory. We do strategy work, mergers and acquisitions, you know, risk compliance and controls internal audit, which is the group, the specific service that I typically right. deliver on. But we also do a, a, a whole bunch of work around cybersecurity and privacy. And, and those are certainly hot topics that you probably hear a lot about in today's marketplace. We are, we're actually in over 135 countries wow. globally. So we, we have offices all throughout Europe, uh, the Asia Pacific uh, region, the Middle East, Africa, and, and certainly all throughout the Americas. Uh, we have you know, over 51 offices uh, here throughout the States. And so we, we make quite an impact in terms of the, the markets that we serve. We serve several industries, so many different com- companies, brands that you will recognize, brands that you don't recognize, but you're actually using them. Uh, so many organizations and companies uh, throughout. I mentioned earlier that I actually work in our risk compliance and controls environment. I'm actually based in Atlanta, and I'll get to that to this later, but born and raised in Jamaica by way of New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. And made my way over to, to Atlanta. So I lead what we call the RCC function uh, here. And all that means, if I just kind of double click on that for a second, it's everything mm-hmm. from a risk management perspective, right? Every organization, public private, small, large, uh, private equity venture, any companies typically will have a risk management program in place. And so typically I'm helping with that. Sarbanes-Oxley, often often referred to as SOX. That's another big area that I do spend a ton of time in. And then just general internal audit. So everything uh, around processes and functional areas throughout every organization, I spend a whole lot of time in. You name it, we pretty much do it, and that's the that's our firm. We're so large, but yet again, small, and operate in a personal business mindset that we uh, we deliver all these services throughout the globe and make you feel like you are the only client uh, that we're actually serving. That's that's amazing. Now I do have to ask, right? So born in Jamaica, by way of New York, came down to Atlanta. You're a CPA, right? And in the intro, we did mention that you're also a pro athlete. Yep. You know, and sometimes, I mean, people have a perception of pro athletes, right? How did you go from that? What got you into becoming a CPA to where you are today? I mean, kind of walk us through a little bit of that journey. You know, the young Duran, how did you get in? Yeah, interesting. So I am, I'm probably not surprised to have got that question. It's an interesting question. And I appreciate you asking. Uh, It's one that I actually get fairly frequently. Sure. Yeah, born and raised in Jamaica. I've often been referred to as, hey, you you seem to do quite a lot. You do them well. You mentioned mm-hmm. the perception around athletes. That's always been something personal for me. So I did all of my high school in Jamaica and then got an academic and athletic scholarship and went to the University of Southern Mississippi. Okay. My first introduction to accounting was for the U.S. equivalent would have been in 10th grade in Jamaica. Okay. And I never forget it. I still do talk with that teacher, Devin Lawrence. I went to a high school there called Jamaica College, often referred to as JC, an all-boy high school. And so I came to the United States, went to, went to the University of Southern Mississippi, and from day one, declared accounting as my major. And never changed it, just, just kept doing it. 
didn't know anything about accounting. All this time, I was an athlete. In fact, uh, I was a two-sport athlete, particularly the later part of my, my years in college. Oh, yeah. I did track and field, and I did football. And I, I had to qualify that and say that's American football because uh, <laughs> right. I, came, I came to the United States, and I was like, well, that's not quite football the way I used to see it. <laughs> right. That ball's a little different. Yeah, it's a little different, and, and we're touching it with our hands and all that, so it's yeah. it was definitely, definitely different. But you know what? You know, three things come to mind in terms of you mentioned the athletic piece and just kind of the academia piece, the professional business piece. I know the general kind of saying that are typically kind of connotated around athletes. And for me, I've always had a passion to succeed and then also wanted to be a representative and displace and and kind of demystify any preconceived notions around athletes. I really believe athletes are some of the smartest people they make really great business professionals. You think about everything they do, irrespective of whatever that sport is. And so, you know, from an early age, I've, I've always wanted to do well. And, and really what that is, is the inverse of not wanting to consistently fail. Because I've mm. failed so many times. Like that. Yeah. And from a young age, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to be, I wanted to give my very best at anything that I took on. And having failed many times and experiencing the feelings and the circumstances of failure, my passion to succeed was kind of born and, and that was part of my journey. So anything I touched, I wanted to make sure I did well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it, it was just, and so that's kind of part of my DNA. If my mom was here, she would probably say that's all her. Yeah, she, <laughs> as, as all moms should take credit. Yeah, exactly. Right. All the good traits and everything that's not so great about me. She's like, yeah, that's not me. Yeah, that was your dad. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing is people say, well, how do you do all of this so well? I believe in being fully in the moment at whatever is in front of me. You know, personally, I don't believe that I can or anyone really can effectively multitask and have top-notch quality results. Mm-hmm. Now, one could argue and say, well, it depends on what those items are, right? And, and I would agree to some extent. But from my perspective, one of the things that has that have served me well, and I know others who are highly successful, who have taken on a lot and do them well, they tend to make sure that they are fully in that moment. So I'm, I'm here, right? For example, right. I'm not trying to check emails and, and texts. I'm not worried about what's next. I'm a hundred percent fully immersed in the discussion that we're having. And so when I think about the work that I do, when I'm working on a client, when I'm working on a particular accounting or financial related matter, I'm fully immersed in that moment and vice versa, right? When I'm getting ready to perform when I'm performing. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm actually an entirely different Duran <laughs> when I'm not in, when I change suits. Yeah. I, I know we didn't mention what you do at the Braves, but I mean, having seen what you do, I can see that, right? There's that switch, right? And right. I tell a lot of people that too. And we do that professionally. When I go and I have to work a trade show floor, that's a totally different Adam than my wife and children get here around the house. I like that, right? Because we have to realize that throughout our day, as we're doing different tasks, right? Whether we're a spouse, a father, a child, a business owner, uh, an advocate, a representative, those all take different parts of our personalities. And we have to kind of learn to turn it on and off. Otherwise, you know, you can burn out on it really fast. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, no question about that. 
you know, maybe the other thing I, I would add, because this is core to me and it's, it's something that has been, I mean, like running track and field sports has always been an anchor for me in just about everything that I do. And I really believe personally for me, that's what's always kind of kept me performing well or being able to sustain the challenge or getting back up on my feet after failures on the other side of the run, whether, whether or not you want to call it academic or on the business or professional side. And that's my dedication, discipline, and commitment to anything, again, that I take on. Yes. I believe that when I take on anything, no matter what it is, again, it's really bar none. You know, I'm one of those people that I'm going to give 110% effort. It's not a halfway thing. And so I, I typically, if I'm not going to, if I'm not able to give it 110%, I'm probably not going to want to take it on. Right. And that to your point and to your question earlier around, well, hey, you're, you're doing all of these things. They're all getting 110% effort when that item is actually in front of me and I'm fully immersed and fully in, in, in the moment. You know, it's, it's amazing hearing you, hearing you say this because in, in many ways, I feel like you're, you're a coach as well. Like this, this information, hearing this is such a good reminder, I think, to both Adam and I, I think to our listeners, that being present for what you're doing, not trying to multitask, which is, of course, what life demands sometimes, but, but kind of resisting that and staying focused on one task at a time and giving it your full attention and energy. It's such an important lesson. And I can see how that is a lesson you're bringing from your career as an athlete into your career as a CPA and um, an advisor and consultant. So that, that is just so amazing to see in practice um, in, in you and hear from you about. You mentioned representation for a moment, and you mentioned that in the context of, of being an athlete in the spaces where you work professionally. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit just about diversity in the professional services and risk management space, in the accounting space, what does it mean to, to go into those spaces as a Jamaican-American? Why is that important? What kind of impact do you see that having for yourself? And then also, you know, in the companies where you've worked, where you work currently, how does that, how does that work and, and what is its importance? Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, you know, a, a two-part kind of maybe response there. You're, you're right. There is a representation around the athletic piece, but but there's also representation from a DEI, right? A diversity equity piece about it. It's interesting. So I, I'm excited to share, uh, in fact, that Grant Thornton, we have a, a really strong and really great firm commitment as a whole to DEI. Uh, in fact, it's actually one of the reasons that I end up choo- choosing to, to work here at Grant, Grant Thornton. Personally, I, I don't believe my my only role is to simply just come in and do work, right? I really enjoy people. I like spending time with people. I like, to your point earlier, coaching and really investing everything forward for those that have invested in, in me in different ways, right? And some of those individuals I know very well who have invested in me and some of them I don't know. So I don't know who I'm coming across. I don't know who was listening and all that. Grant Thornton's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, uh, I mentioned is broad, right? So we've got a lot of business resource groups. We've got our Black Professional and Allies group, which I'm a part of. And in fact, I'm one of the executive sponsors for that group, nationally speaking. But we also have our Disability Alliance group. We've got our Veterans and Allies group. We've got our Women and Alliance group, right? So many opportunities. You mentioned 
the firms and the advisory practices and just kind of broader, broader practices and services offered, offered by the firms. It's interesting, like from a black professional perspective, there is probably less than 2% of certified public accountants that exist today that are, that are black. In fact, I sit on the board for NABA Inc., which was one time called National Association of Black Accountants that have been rebranded and have moved beyond and extended tentacles beyond accounting to now pick up just about everything across business, right? Entrepreneurship, IT, supply chain, you name it. And that's one of the reasons why a NABA exists, for example. That's one of the reasons our Black professional and allies group under the DEI umbrella exists here at, at Grand Thornton. And we've got a fearless leader in Rashada Whitehead, uh, one of our senior leaders and executives here, who does an amazing job driving and heading and spearheading that program. But representation, representation actually matters. I learned probably about six months ago or so that I was the first Black executive in our Atlanta in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. No, that's that's great. And that's a testament to the commitment of the firm, the commitment Mm -hmm. uh, of the local office here and the, the, the office managing partner and team. And one of the things I realized really quickly after coming in, I always knew, always knew that representation mattered. But after starting and I had a number of people that reached out and, and, and came to me and then just some of the things that have transpired since. If I didn't believe or knew that representation matter, I knew that it, I know that it does now. Mm-hmm. In really practice. Matters. Yeah, right? totally. Because you get a seat at the table. I have a seat at the table. I can bring and shape a different perspective. I can coach differently, right? Because I'm in the rooms. So it's extremely, extremely important. And so just so proud of of what Grant Thornton is doing around that. In fact, we launched uh, a campaign across the entire organization called Bring Your Own Self to Work, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what you do is essentially there's this kind of a software tool. You put everything in that tool and essentially populates this, this image with words that describes who you are. You actually put that in in your email signature. Oh. And as you communicate with folks, right, if you particularly if you don't know them very well or if you're just meeting them for the first time, again, you think about a a firm with over 10,000 professionals, over 150 offices, presence in the from an international perspective, it allows folks to actually know more about you. So for me, it's going to show, hey, I'm, I'm black or I'm a speaker. Right. I'm a World Series champ. I play the piano. Like, so it shows whatever it it is that you want to kind of populate and have, you know, people know about you. I love that. Yeah. We, we do a couple of the things I want to hit on really quickly, but like we do, we do a ton of things in what we call our purple paladins. Right. We're doing sneakers for soldiers. We're doing foster nation. We're doing hoping, hoping a box. Uh, so many more. But the two the two things I do want to call out are our partnership with what's called the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. Actually just came back from D.C. And what that is, is essentially a program where we partner with the Thurgood Marshall College Fund uh, Foundation and we essentially equip 
historically black colleges and universities, their faculty and their staff with the tools to actually better coach their students oh, being nice. prepared for the professional workforce that they actually graduate. Something that has been something that's extremely invaluable, but has never really been done as effective or is being done consistently throughout schools, right? So that that keeps us behind the eight ball. And then the last thing I would mention is our, our partnership with HBCUs, the men's and women's golf teams. I never played golf growing up in Jamaica. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, right. Too much, yeah, that's too much land. And, and obviously, we know that the game of golf and, and what that means here, and, and it's essentially a turf of business. Yes. We partner with these HBCUs, men and women golf team, and really trying to you know, enhance and advance their programs and provide opportunities both on the course, but also off the course I, in our firms. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I, I have two conversations today about golf tournaments. Uh, so you're right. It is. It is a, it's a piece of American business, right? And the way things kind of get done. So I think that's an amazing opportunity you guys are providing for HBCUs. That's so cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, our audience is a lot of, we have some corporate uh, listeners, right? But we have a lot of small business owners too. And kind of going back to what you're doing with Grant Fortin audits. So before I stepped out of corporate America, I was in the financial industry working for major banks. And I used to tell people all the time, I was like, be very careful about wanting to do business with us because if we audit you, we could probably shut you down for a week with the amount of stuff we're going to start throwing at you for an audit. Right, right. Give us some advice for our business owners, right? Why is it important to consult with outside experts on risk, risk management, governance, ESG? Because a lot of these people I talk to, small business owners, they're like, that's something for the big boys. I'm under $10 million. I don't need to worry about that. I'm like, no, you really have to worry about it. You're the ones we really want to have be buttoned up. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And I mean, I'll probably start where you with your statement where you say, oh, we're under $10 million. Well, I'm sure they would probably want to grow to 20, 100. Exactly. A, a million. Look, you know, there's so many businesses, small, medium, large, different industries, different reasons why they exist. And, you know, just in the snapshot of the conversation that we will have now for those who aren't necessarily like plugged into large organizations or working with, you know, a firm, for example, RSI, I would say that good financial stability and wellness of the company, right? Coupled with good people is literally every business's heartbeat. With one or both of them, without one of those or without both of them, the likelihood for, for your organization, for that company um, to survive is very low. And that's not only for your small business owners, right? That's, that's really for your large. It, every, I mean, you think about our, our firm, we're a people business, right? We don't make products. Everything comes from our people, our services, and we have a great group of professionals here that help us deliver on that every single day. And so it's interesting, like I ended up in accounting, you know, so for me, if, if I were to start a business today, I would have some good acumen about running a business. What I've found is that there are opportunities for our business owners. Uh, I love that. I love the passion. I love the way that they operate. But having some knowledge, some baseline knowledge of the operating financial affairs for that business, understanding what that means from a balance sheet perspective 
income statement and cash flow perspective will serve them critically well, right? And you're not asking them, I'm not asking them or suggesting that they be an expert and be a, a CPA. But what I am saying is that you take time to really understand the basic elements of your P&L, how much profit you're making and how many, you know, what's your margin like. But certainly getting the help of experts is, is critical, right? So you're getting the experts of, a, of professionals, for example, at a firm like Grant Thornton is critical, right? Because what we can do is help to kind of provide guidance and assist with some of the more technical items and maybe some of the things that aren't necessarily jumping off the page to that individual. And then we won't necessarily look at it only from a current state perspective, but really looking with a foresight view and trying to bring those insights to that individuals to kind of really run and grow that business in its future state. So it's, it's critically important that good controls, good people, understanding the activities of the business, what's key, who are your key customers, managing those relationships are just mm-hmm. as critical, by the way, mm-hmm. as yeah. everything else in terms of the numbers. Oh, yeah. Right. If you've got, for example, 10 customers and there are, there are five key ones that are driving 80 percent of your revenue, you want to make sure that you are, you know, you certainly want to make sure you're giving every single client the customer the undivided attention, but you want to be very particular around those five customers who are driving 80% of your revenue. Okay. But yeah, you seek out advice, you make sure you're staying on top of all of that stuff and, and being prepared and ready for growth. I mean, ESG, you mentioned earlier, is not only a, a large company thing, right? That's literally how we operate today. Every single thing is basically ESG when you think about everything under the, the environmental right? Everything on the social and everything on the governance. Uh, social media has changed the game and all it takes is one, one post Man, or, yeah. or some, yeah, was one post. One post, and, that's all it takes. And all of a sudden you, you've got a, a bunch of issues on your hands. So I, I'd advise, you know, business owners to, to think bigger than the $10 million and look to do some, some light adoption, if you will, with some of those items that they're thinking or seemingly thinking they don't have to adopt. But doing so with the expectation and the anticipation of growth. Right. So let's dig down into some tools and strategies for small business owners. Let's say they're too small even, or they're kind of just starting out. They want to set up the trajectory to have really good practices, but they're not kind of ready yet to engage Grant Thornton or another management consultancy. Um, Maybe they're ready to engage a CPA, but but what are some tools and strategies that you can point to that small and medium-sized business owners should look to, to keep their accounting and risk management on point and to be thinking about as they grow, how they, you know, really have sustainable practices to support their business? Yeah. Yeah. No, great question. And to your point, yes, not everybody's going to be ready to say, Hey, I need a, I need a, a you know, a global firm like, like Grant Thornton, right. there are several things that you can do, right? One, I've seen business operators operate a business and they're not even officially an organization. They're not an LLC, right. they're not an Inc, they're not an S-Corp, right? It's right. Getting that off the ground and formalizing that piece of it, right? Making sure that your name of the business represents the operations of the business. Getting a bank account that is business only, business tied, only doing your transactions that are tied to the business to that bank account. That's also critical. And by the way, 
you can get, there's so many CPAs out there and small firms and minority firms that are out there. You can engage as consultants on a as needed basis, right? It's no different than bringing on an attorney that will help to kind of guide, build, and give you the structure and guidance you need as you grow and be right there with you in the middle of challenges as well. Bookkeeping is critical. That's one of the big, uh, big misses and big opportunities for, for people. Sometimes they aren't really keeping great books and sometimes relying on maybe the, the, the bank statement or credit card transactions to just simply capture all that details. Some have gone into Excel and Excel might work well for some people depending on the number of transactions and all that. But for others, you might need to move and take on a, a, a platform like a QuickBooks that's automated, not overly complicated. It's actually really user-friendly, right? And as you grow and as you scale, again, you're journeying with that CPA to kind of figure out, okay, what moves do I make? What do I do next? How do I make sure I protect the investments that I have in play? How do I make sure that the, the health of my balance sheet stays in good order? You know, how do I know I make sure I'm not ordering too much, too much inventory, for example? You know, branding is part of that. Uh, so working with individuals in the in your branding space and how do you go to market, it's also also just as critical. That is fantastic. I mean, it has been that's that's a lot to take in for anybody. But I, I think those are definitely the necessary steps. And I love that you brought out some things like having the separate checking accounts and not just relying on your statements to come in through the mail to capture the data. Absolutely fantastic. And these are some of the mistakes that we see sometimes when we're talking to small businesses or consulting with them uh, on the site too. So I thank you again for bringing that up. And again, thank you, Duran, so much for coming on our show today. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Yes. Um, and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Goodry Reed, at Adam A. Moore, and at Duran Dunn. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous show and stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us and participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.